Our text this morning illustrates one of Jesus' most beautiful parables perfectly. A parable that you will know very well of a shepherd searching for a lost sheep. We'll see in our text that the proud Hagar has been humbled by the mistreatment of Sariah and has an amazing encounter with the living God in the desert. So first we're going to listen to the parable itself and go directly into our text for this morning. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 15, 1 through 7, the parable. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then, the incredible story of Hagar. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why we, the well was called Bier Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. An incredible promise given. A gracious promise given. In such an amazing fashion. It's been pointed out that this is exactly like the God we serve. Here he doesn't appear to a person of power. He comes to a slave woman. Here he doesn't come to a person seeking faith but one who is actually running from the household of faith. 
Here we see the good shepherd. God Almighty seeking the one who is lost and afraid. Friends, God continues to seek such people. For God's hand can move upon the least expected people. The lost sheep. And he moves in different but related ways to bring them into his flock. And today we're going to look at the ways that this God who comes seeking touches people's lives. The very first way we look at God can speak to those, to the heart of those on the run. God can speak to the heart of those who are actually running away from Him, who have no desire to follow Him. And as we look at the text, This is an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture for several reasons and I hope to unpack for you. But right off the bat, I need you to see that God spoke to Hagar in a completely unexpected way. We find Hagar in the desert. When she ran away from Sarai, it seems that she was headed back to Egypt. There are two places that are named the the, the road that leads to, to Shur and Kadesh. We're, we're not exactly sure where Shur is, but Kadesh is most likely Kadesh Barnea, the place that the people of Israel camped before they were getting ready to go into the land of promise. It is in this northern Sinai Peninsula, and it's on the way home. Now, we don't have a lot of detail of all that Hagar was feeling at that moment in time. She was probably afraid. She may have found herself wondering, when I get back home, will there be anybody left who will know me? She has no other plan. The only thing she can think to do is I have to go back to my homeland. I've left my old life behind. But in the wilderness, to a runaway slave, the angel of the Lord comes. Folks, this is the very first time in Scripture the phrase, the angel of the Lord, appears. The very first time. And the Definite pronoun here is very important. The angel of the Lord. It's not just any angel. It is the angel of the Lord. And we find him in several places in the Hebrew Scriptures. And those appearances are very significant. The angel of the Lord is actually identified with Yahweh, with the Lord God Almighty. In this chapter, chapter 16, verse 13, In 22, when Abram is about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord comes. Uh, We find him not mentioned by name, but it is the angel of the Lord in Genesis when Abram starts bartering with God about Sodom. We also find him in Judges chapter 6. In Judges 13, in Zechariah chapter 3. 
And in those cases where God, Yahweh, is identified with the angel, he moves from a third-person description to the first-person I when he speaks. He speaks to Abraham, first of all, here, to, to Hagar in the desert. And then he speaks to Abram, I now know that you love me. And your faith is in me more than anything else. In Judges, the angel of the Lord speaks to Gideon and speaks to Manoah and his wife. And in Zechariah, the angel of the Lord rebukes Satan himself. Folks, the angel of the Lord is understood by scholars throughout the century as God Almighty appearing in human form, directly addressing His purpose and His will to the persons He is talking to. And He comes to them in in the guise of a man as a messenger from God because if He shows up in all of His glory, well, when Moses asked God, let me see your glory, in Exodus 33, 20, God said, oh, in the thir- he, he said, I'll let you see partial of me. But he said in verse 20, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Now what is so amazing here? The very first time God has taken it upon himself to appear as a human, to directly address someone with his truth, He comes to Hagar. He came to this slave who actually dared to use her pregnancy as an excuse for shaming and despising her mistress. He came to this woman who swelled with pride once her babe grew in the womb. He came to this woman who was on a run terrified of what might happen to her, she stayed with Sarai. God Almighty came to a woman that up to that point in our story had no clear testimony that she even believed in the God of Abram. He comes. And folks, we need to understand the truth of God can come alive to people who are lost on the road of life. I hope you paid attention when I read the parable, the reason behind the parable. Jesus told this parable because the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, were murmuring about his connection to sinners. This man seeks out and eats with tax collectors and sinners. And it's very clear every time you see that phrase, tax collector and sinner, the Pharisees have decided these people are no more than human trash. They are incapable of redemption. They are doomed to the judgment of God. And I don't take pleasure in saying this. Quite frankly, that's the way some church folk think today. 
I have been doing this for 45 years now as a pastor. And I've seen the looks on faces through decades now of respectable folks when someone enters a sanctuary who clearly doesn't belong in their minds. Maybe the person looks dirty. Maybe the person has too many tattoos. Dressed inappropriately. Maybe they just look like bad news. But if that's what we see when we look at this world, and all those people that scare us and frighten us and, and are so far away from if all we see sinners. If we do not discern the heart of our God, the God who seeks out people just as they are. He doesn't wait for them to clean up. He doesn't wait for them to get lasers to remove the tattoos. He doesn't wait for them to come to church in nice clothes. He comes and he looks out for them out there in the world, the lost sheep who are struggling and running. And if we don't see that, we will lose sight of the reason God has left us in this world. You see, God could still come and appear as the angel of the Lord. Interestingly, the phrase, the angel of the Lord, doesn't show up in the New Testament at all. Why? Because God incarnate came. God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. But God doesn't normally appear, even in the Old Testament. The passages with the angel of the Lord, there aren't a lot of them. Instead, God chooses another way to speak into the heart of those dead in sin. And what He has chosen is clear throughout His Word. And what has He chosen? We can be the voices through whom God speaks today. You and me. When we open our eyes to those that are lost in life, we will see the fields that are white to harvest. We will hear the words of Jesus. Pray that God sends more workers out in the field and we'll realize we are part of those workers. Men, women, young, old, running throughout this life, running from God, trying to find something they cannot put their finger on. They are the harvest field. They're running from the God who loves them and they need to know that He loves them. And the only way they can know that is when God comes. Hagar came to understand that when God appeared to her. Those who are lost in this journey of life can come to understand the love of God when they see the love of God in us. When they hear the message that God loves you, we are the voices God chooses to use. 
And heaven help us if we do not speak. Heaven help us when we hurl back the good news of Jesus Christ from anyone he brings to us. Anyone we go to seek. So God, God can come. And he still comes through his people, through his word. The next way that God comes to the lost sheep is that God can reveal hope to those who are caught in despair. God can reveal hope to those who have no reason to hope in their own hearts and in their own minds. And again, as we look at what's going on in this story, Hagar's hope for a better life had been stripped away from her. Hagar's hope for a better life had been stripped away. I can just imagine what she must have thought and what she must have felt. When she became pregnant with Abram's child, she clearly had to think that her life was changed forever because Sarai gave Hagar to Abram to be his wife, to bear his son. She was able to give Abram a child when Sarai could not. And in her mind, she's not just a slave girl anymore. Unfortunately, in her mind... She saw somehow in her fertile state that she was better than Sarai. And she began to despise her. And Abram did something important. I did, I told you last week he couldn't mention her by name. He just said, your servant girl. But I want you to understand when he said, your slave is yours to do with that of you too to. He just disavowed Hagar as his wife. That's how she was to come to him. She was to be the mother of his child. And he dismisses that. You're a slave. You're free to do whatever you want to to her. And so she runs. We don't know everything Sarai did, but she mistreated her. And it may be that Hagar was actually afraid for her very life. And so she runs and she's out in the wilderness now. Not sure what's going to happen, but then the Lord showed up. And He speaks to her. Where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, I'm running away. She's honest. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And then God commanded her to do the unthinkable. Go back and submit to your mistress. But he didn't leave it there, did he? Instead, he gives her a promise. You are pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. And he's going to live the life of a nomad. When it talks about him being a wild donkey, don't think the nice little donkeys you might see in somebody's field. 
the wild donkey of the desert was probably more in character with a, a strong, untamable horse. In other words, he's going to live by his own rules. He's not going to conform to society's plan. And that's going to make enemies. And because of Sariah, Abram's sin, Ishmael became the father of a people that would be in constant battle against Abram's promise. But the next amazing thing, she was to name her son Ishmael. I've told you before, in in our country we rarely look up, I mean most of us don't name our children things of any significance in terms of meaning. We name them names that we like. We chose Jessica because we loved it. We didn't know that it was one of the most popular girls' names the year she was born. And so Jessica faced the same kind of thing I did growing up. There were always a lot of Dannys around. But in the Bible, names had significance. And the name Ishmael literally means God hears. God hears. And in that moment, Hagar understands. Can you imagine the joy she must have had the rest of her life? Every time, Ishmael, God hears. God hears. Even those times, Ishmael, God hears. And she would be reminded and she's told, you're going to have more descendants than could ever be counted. And in that moment, God addressed Hagar's deepest fears. God let her know the God of Abraham has heard your distress. I've heard you. I hear you. And God still works in an amazing way. The light of God's love can penetrate the darkness of hopelessness. The light of God's love, the recognition that God hears, God understands, God knows. You see, there are so many people in this world who are faced with fears that strike at the very depths of their being. They see no hope. They never seem to be able to break the chains that they have made for themselves. They think there's never going to be any relief. I'm never going to have any meaning. I'm never going to have any real life. Others seem to have everything that this world could offer a person. And so often they are lost in a context of abundance. They can't soothe the dread that they feel inside. It can't take care Uh, there's just a phenomenon that seems to be the more we have, the more we want. Because nothing ultimately satisfies. Because they are people without hope. 
in a sermon entitled Christ the Seeker and Savior of the Lost, Charles Spurgeon, the great British Baptist pastor of the 1800s, said, what is meant by the lost? Well, lost is a dreadful word. I should need much time to explain it. But if the Spirit of God, like a flash of light, shall enter into your heart and show you what you are by nature, you will accept the word lost as descriptive of your condition and understand it better than a thousand words of mine could enable you to do. Lost by the fall. Lost by inheriting a depraved nature. Lost by your own acts and deeds. Lost by a thousand omissions of duty. And lost by countless deeds of overt transgression. Lost by habits of sin. Lost by tendencies and inclinations which gathered strength. And dragged you downward into deeper yet deeper darkness and iniquity. Lost by inclinations which never turn of themselves to that which is right. But which will resolutely refuse divine mercy and infinite love. We are lost willfully and willingly. Lost perversely and utterly. But still lost of our own accord. Which is the worst kind of being lost that could possibly can be. We are lost to God who has lost our heart's love and lost our confidence and lost our obedience, lost to the church which we cannot see, lost to the truth which we will not see, lost to right which cause we do not uphold, lost to heaven and to whose sacred precincts we can never come, lost, so lost that unless almighty mercy shall intervene, we shall be cast in the pit that is bottomless to sink forever. Lost, 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 the very word seems to me to be the knell of an impenitent soul. Lost, 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 I hear the dismal tolling. A soul's funeral is being celebrated. <coughs> Endless death has befallen an immortal being. It comes up as dreadful wail from far beyond the boundaries of life and hope. Forth from those dreary regions of death and darkness where spirits dwell who would not have Christ to reign over them. Lost. Lost, lost, on me that ever these ears should ever hear that doleful sound. Better a whole world on fire than a single soul lost. Better every star quenched and yon skies a wreck than a single soul to be lost. If we can let that sink in. We come to really recognize that this world is filled with people in this terrible condition. Some of them family members. Some of them friends. We come to understand when we say someone's lost, we understand a crucial truth. We can be the light of Christ shining in the shadows of lost lives. We. See, my friends, people do not just wake up one morning and decide, this is the day I welcome the light of God, Christ into my life. Not on their own. The scriptures read, how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear if someone doesn't tell them? The light of Christ 
we need to understand, they don't just say, I want to follow Jesus. Somebody shares the truth. And if you were to say, I've mentioned this before, and I checked into a hotel room, pulled out a Gideon Bible, and I got saved, somebody put that Bible there. Not without someone coming. Again, from that same sermon, Charles Spurgeon said so beautifully of the people who are lost. They are so lost that they need saving, but they are also so lost that they need seeking. Someone who comes seeking to tell them the truth. To show them the light. God seeking them through His Spirit. Through willing and obedient witnesses. Who have understood my task in this world is to shine my light. God wants to shine the spotlight of Christ through us. And the world caught up in the darkness of sin needs desperately to see that light. And if they do, and when they do, God can make himself known to those who feel abandoned. God can make himself known to those who feel abandoned. Like everyone and everything is turned from me. When I was a little boy, it, it, it became quite the joke in my family, and it's very funny now, but I would go around making up songs about how terrible I, things are for me. One of those songs was, Nobody Loves Me, Me, Me Alone. I couldn't say leave, so Me, Me Alone. I'd go around singing it. And that's the way the world feels. Without Christ. But Hagar's encounter with God left her with the reality she had not been forgotten. Folks, this is, this is just absolutely an amazing passage. She's just been told you're going to have a son and you're going to have so many descendants you won't even be able to count them. And did you notice that there is no open rejoicing about that promise? She doesn't say anything about that promise. Now I have no doubt she was incredibly ecstatic that her child would live. But did you notice where her joy and wonder is expressed? God heard my cries. God sees me. Me. John Corson pointed out, Hagar hadn't been looking for God, hadn't seen God, hadn't found God. It was God who saw Hagar. And then another amazing thing. The only time in all of the Old Testament 
A human being speaking to God gives him a name. That's kind of amazing. And the name is El Roy. You are the God who sees. Because she said, I have seen the one who sees me. The name, as far as we know, was never used by anybody else. It was a personal declaration of, of Hagar explaining what she had found in God. I'm nobody. I am nothing. I'm insignificant in this world. And God sees me. God sees me. She's marveled. There's, there are a couple of uh, translations that look at an, an amended text in the play, in the text that goes back not to the oldest of manuscripts, but to some that says, essentially, have I seen the one who sees me and I'm still alive? says he sees me. And so the well near where she was at was given the name. Bier Lahai Roy, the well of the living one who sees me. From that moment on, I believe Hagar was a changed woman. The calling of her son's name would remind her, God, God has heard me. The memory that she had been seen by God gave her truth and hope and love. I believe from that encounter she had with God, Hagar may have come to that desert well with no faith but I believe she left with it. And not only did she believe, she obeyed. She went back to Sarai. The same woman she was afraid of, but now she knows God hears, God sees, God is with me. And she goes, and when she gets back home, She tells Abram about her encounter with God. And she tells him that God told me to name my son Ishmael. God hears. I just wondered how much did that rebuke Abram? I let Sarai do to you whatever she wanted. And God heard you. God hears your cries and he names. This is, folks, this is more than unusual in a Hebrew family. The mom says, this is going to be the boy's name. And the dad says, you're right. Because he knows she's encountered the living God. And I believe with that, Abram learned another lesson. That God's hand 
could be gracious in the face of very bad decisions that his children might make. Folks, the reality is that the truth of God's love can penetrate the hearts of those who think they are beyond his touch. More than can be counted are the lives of those throughout the centuries who felt that God could not save them. You may have known somebody who said, but you don't understand, what I've done is too horrible. God can't save me, I, I've, I've gone too far. But somehow, so many who thought, I am beyond redemption, the voice of God came through a witness, through the word, and they were confronted by the living God, the God who sees. Walter Russell Bowie, his commentary on Genesis, said, though Hagar had been driven out by Sarah with Abram's consent, Abraham's consent, yet the angel of God follows her. She is to go back Again to Sarai's tent, her child will be born. From him shall spring those who dwell, uh, not to be numbered through the multitude. Hagar responded to the mercy. And many like her have responded to mercy across the ages. And God guided the writing of this passage. But I don't know when Moses, led by the Spirit, wrote this, if he fully understood the power of that phrase, you're the God who sees me. Bowie points out, in old houses of the stern pure tradition, those words embroidered could be seen framed upon the wall. And Before you get excited about that, usually in those homes, they were taken to mean the God's watching you and he will judge you. But that is not their meaning in the story of Hagar. Rather, they are the glad acknowledgement of the heavenly grace that beholds our human needs. As the psalmist sings, saying, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And many a lonely soul, for whom the world seemed desolate as it seemed to Hagar, has been able to take comfort in the faith that there was one who saw its sorrow and would come with compassion and with help. And again, how does God do that? We can be the ones who show God's love in this painful world. I believe as long as there is breath, there is hope. And we don't give up. And we seek and we try and we share. There's hope that someone caught up in the sin that enslaves can be set free. And we are the ones, folks, I cannot overemphasize this. We are the ones God has chosen to use to help bring prisoners of sin into freedom. I read a testimony this week. Ross Cochran wrote about his father. And he, like a lot of folks, then of his father's life, was uncertain of what was going to happen with his dad. He said, my dad died of cancer in a nursing home. 
He was in a partial coma when I visited him before that day came. We had come down from Queensland to Wagga Wagga, his birthplace. I was wondering where he was in terms of his relationship with Christ, and yes, the thought crossed my mind as to where he would be going when he died. Would he be going to hell? And how would I share with him now? As I stood in the room by his bed, Julie, Cochran's wife, suggested that I sing to him. I began to sing softly the hymn, How Great Thou Art. I'd given him a tape, this is long before CDs came into being, of me singing a number of Christian songs that I thought might speak to him. Afterwards, my mom told me that he used to play this tape a lot. As I stood there by the bed, I sensed the presence of God fall, and my father began singing from somewhere in the depths of his coma, How great thou art. How great thou art. He couldn't communicate to me, but he could sing. And all I could do was watch and sing in amazement as tears flowed down his face. I was there for quite some time in a quandary as to what all this meant when a nurse came in and saw my expression And his tears. And she said, you know that your dad has accepted Christ as his personal savior, love. Don't you? And he says, I wept. God can move in the most amazing ways. When we are willing to do what God has called us to do. And each one of us here, if you know Christ, each one of us here needs to ask ourselves a question. Will I be one who is committed to sharing the gracious promise of God? Will I do that? Not just talk about it, not just read books about it. Will I actually share in the lives of those around me, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, will I find a way to share? And if we answer yes to that question, if I'm ready to make that commitment, then we will be ready to follow the call of our Lord to do one major thing. Beyond anything else we are called to do, one major thing all of us are called to do, tell the world. And to what do we tell them? John Stott has shaped much of my heart through years of of study. And he had this to say about testimony. When you're giving a testimony, he said, testimony is not a synonym for autobiography. When we are truly witnessing We are not talking about ourselves, but about Christ. So today, I'm asking you, please hear the call of God in your life. If you are a Christian, this is your call. Every one of us here, you and I are meant to be witnesses.
And if we will say yes to that call, the scripture tells us in Isaiah 52, 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. If we're willing to say yes and willing to find ways to share, God can reach. So many hearts for the kingdom. And when one comes, heaven rejoices. Pastor Luis sent me a, from the Philippines, sent me a, a word on yesterday's, well, for us, yesterday's service. One more person came to Christ. And all of heaven was rejoicing. Pray with me. Father God, sometimes in this world the reality is we just lose sight. So many things come into our lives that demand our attention that we don't see the world of hurt. So much fear comes into our life because we don't want to seem pushy or we are afraid we might be rejected.